The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. And together and her mission, over the last several weeks, we've been looking particularly at her mission, that the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ, both the local church here uh, and the Church Universal, uh, is to go and to spread the gospel, uh, to go and to proclaim the good news to a world that is in need uh, of hearing that message. And um, we have to look at, thank you, we have to look at and understand that our mission, we don't get to drive it on our own. We, we, don't, we can come up with fancy ways to maybe say it, but the reality is Christ set the mission. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, to go out and to proclaim that good news and that our challenge as a church, we say that we want to know Christ and then to make him known, our question then constantly has to be, how are we doing? Uh, are we accomplishing that mission in the world? Are we accomplishing that mission in our lives? Are we proclaiming Christ? Are we knowing him more deeply in our own lives for the express purpose, the only purpose of getting to know Christ better? The purpose of growing in our faith as individuals, the reason why we want to train your children up, the reason that we want you uh, to participate in uh, the different ministries of the church, the life groups and the men's and women's ministries and the student ministries, as as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you become a more effective witness in the world. And if you are an ineffective witness in the world, if you're an ineffective witness in your communities, uh, and we don't see that we're having much of an impact, then we have to come back as a church and as leaders within the church and ask, how are we doing uh, in pursuing our vision and our mission? We must be having something uh, awry somewhere uh, in the circuitry if we're not seeing more of an impact within the world. And so we want to constantly uh, look at our mission. We want to constantly look and value it. Randy Pope, uh, who's the senior pastor at Perimeter Presbyterian Church in Atlanta and a friend of our church, talks about churches and their mission and their goals oftentimes is like this. Uh, You'll you'll say, hey, um, we want to do this particular thing or we have an idea. And so they'll shoot an arrow against the wall. And then they'll evaluate the event kind of like this. You'll walk up to the arrow that's on the wall and you'll draw a circle around it. And you go, see, I hit my target. That doesn't work. That's not very effective, is it? It makes you feel better because then you look uh, and you say, oh, we had 100 people come together for this event. Well, what was the purpose of that event? Well, I don't know. All right, just draw a circle around it and call it whatever event you wanted to call it. And therefore, you met your target. What we need to be doing is drawing targets on walls and saying, this is our vision, this is our mission, this is what we're trying to accomplish, and then regularly assess the ministries of the church to see if we're there. I remember talking in a previous church where I was, where we were having an event, and literally there were 150 people who showed up, but the event, the design of the event was to reach your unchurched neighbors. Uh, The whole purpose of it was for people to bring an unchurched friend into this event. It was just a big cookout. We had 150 people there. We got to staff meeting on the next Tuesday, and everyone was like, that was awesome. We had 150 people there. And I was like, well, how many of them were unchurched? There were about seven unchurched people there. Did we hit our target? No, we're near it. Basically, what we did was we created another fun event for church people to come to. And by the way, a few unchurched people showed up and were probably confused by the whole thing. So we have to be relentless in our pursuit of the mission of the church. 
Similarly, we have to understand, and we're going to look over the next several weeks in the month of February, of what does it look like to live as the church of Jesus Christ? What's the purpose of the life of the body of Christ? What does it mean for us to live uh, together in this way? Today we're going to highlight particularly uh, the idea of membership. What does it mean to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ? What does it mean uh, to be a member of even Hilton Head Presbyterian Church? And we're going to, to see, and it's a perfect Sunday uh, to do this, because the premise coming from 1 Corinthians 11 is this. Because of the new covenant that was inaugurated by Jesus Christ, he created at, through his body and blood, through his death on the cross, he created a new covenant community. Through the new covenant, by Christ coming and saying, this is the cup of the new covenant which is in my blood. Come and drink. This is my body. Come and take. In that new covenant where God says in Jeremiah, and we're going to unpack this, you are my people and I am your God. He's now created a new covenant community and we have to live life together. And so we're going to talk about that uh, this week. It's a good time in the life of our church to consider these things as you pray this week and receive in the mail uh, that list of men who have been training uh, that you yourselves put forward to us as men prepared to be elders and deacons within our church. uh, Of What does it mean to, to deacon, to serve among us? What does it mean to shepherd or to be an elder uh, within the context of our church? And and then in a couple of weeks, uh, Tim Pitzer is going to be ordained as a pastor uh, in our church. And so we're going to talk about what does it mean? What's the relationship? What's my role within your lives? And what's your role within my life? And I found it to be somewhat self-serving for me to preach that sermon. So Ralph Davis, a friend and a mentor uh, of mine, uh, one of my professors from seminary is going to come down from First Church in Columbia and preach to us uh, about that. And I look forward to learning a little bit more and being challenged by him. So that's going to be the month of February that we're going to be living uh, in the midst of this. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 17 through 34. This is the word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not, it, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And upon the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. The first thing, and we're really only going to look at two things uh, together today and be brief about those things. I was looking over some notes. Some of you will be thankful for this. Uh, A friend of mine, I was going back over notes uh, of public speaking, and I came across the five B's uh, of public speaking. And you know what those are. Be brief, baby, be brief. And so um, this morning, uh, we're going to briefly uh, look at, at these things together. And the first is simply this, Christ, by his death, inaugurated a new covenant. Christ, by his death, inaugurated a new covenant. says there in verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, the Lord says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You see God has created a new covenant with his people where he will be their God and they will be his people. He is working in this way and he's saying it's a different kind of covenant. It's not one, ultimately, uh, that we have the opportunity to break. It it is this new covenant that in Christ he has established and given to us as a gift. uh, That he is coming through the death and resurrection of Christ. Through his completed work on the cross. Through all of his passion and work. And he's saying, I am now giving this to you. I'm establishing it uh, within your midst. That God is the one who is enacting this covenant relationship. And I wish I had time to, to really unpack this idea of covenant. We don't use that word very often. We talk about maybe a covenant of marriage uh, or in your neighborhoods and plantations. You talk about covenants within the neighborhood and get frustrated about those. Of You can't have a boat in your yard or you can't have uh, this or that. And we talk about covenants. But basically what a covenant was, a covenant was a relationship established between a greater party and a lesser party. That the greater party, the king or the conquering uh, uh, authority, would come in and say, here is the deal. 
I promise to do these things for you. I will give these things to you. I will give protection. I will give aid. Uh, I will defend you from your enemies and all of those things. In response, you have these obligations to me. Uh, that you have to fulfill these obligations. And if you don't fulfill those obligations, uh, then what you are going to get is the flip side of it. There will be curse. There will be wrath. There will be these things that happen. And so this idea of covenant, God is coming in. He's saying, I'm establishing a new covenant with you. But it's a different kind of covenant. Where he's saying to us, it's this. I'm going to give you a covenant. And here's the deal. I'm going to set it in your hearts. And I promise to be your God. And you're going to be my people. I promise to protect you and to provide for you. I promise to do these things for you, my people. I promise to do these things. And here's the catch. I already know that you're going to disobey the covenant. I already know that you're going to mess up. But the person who is going to get the covenant discipline, the person who's going to get the covenant wrath, is going to be my son and not you. You are going to be the beneficiaries of this covenant, not based on your performance, but based on Christ's performance. That's what happened uh, at the cross. It's this amazing new covenant. The people of God were just fascinated by it, and we should be as well, of recognizing this God by his own initiative and by his own work is saying to us, you get to be this new covenant people, that I'm your God, and you get to be my people, and that I'm going to bless you in this way. I'm going to come and I'm going to establish this for you. And it's an amazing thing. That's the gospel. That, it's, uh, that this new covenant was established through the work of Christ. Look at Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Listen to these words. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, this Lord's Supper that we celebrate is a celebration of how Jesus established the new covenant by his shedding of blood for his people, thus securing their forgiveness, our forgiveness. So there is this new covenant which is given to us. And we need to, and you need to, in your way, think it through this way. Upon whose work? Are you establishing your relationship with God? Upon whose work are you establishing your relationship with God? That's something that you need to wrestle with. I'm assuming that there are some here who may be outside the church, that you're kind of tipping maybe your toe back into Christianity, or you're here for other reasons. But I want you to wrestle with this reality. God, the king, is saying, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. And either you're going to fulfill the covenant obligations on your own, or Christ is for you. And so who's it going to be for you? Are you going to place your faith in Christ and allow him to be your covenant representative? Uh, Are you going to allow him to be the one through his perfection uh, established for us all the benefits of the covenant coming to us and that he took on our disobedience? He was broken. He was killed for us so that we could get all the benefits of the new covenant, that God would be our God, that we would have the pleasures of heaven, that we'd have the pleasures of this life, the Holy Spirit? Or are you on your own going to stand and go, God, I can meet those obligations on my own? And for many, 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 many people within our culture and even here this morning, we have this idea that we're going to stand before God and we're going to go through our list of how we have met all the obligations on our own. 
And the sad news of that is we failed. It says that if you failed at one part, you failed in all parts. And then what we get is not the blessings of the covenant relationship, but the curse of it. Christ said, I became a curse on the cross. I became accursed so that you could become the very people of God. So the first thing and the simple thing that we want, not that simple, uh, but the beautiful and powerful thing is this, that by Christ's work on the cross, God has established his new covenant with us. And therefore, it would say then uh, that this Lord's Supper uh, that we're going to celebrate today celebrates the new covenant uh, and its establishment in the death of Christ. The second point that we're going to talk about briefly is this. This new covenant then creates and controls the existence of Christ's church in the world. That this new covenant creates and controls a new covenant people within the world. Now there's two ways that we want to go. I'm going to talk this morning about the particular church or the local church. Uh, We have within our culture uh, a movement away from membership within a local church body. That um, for some of you who come from a different different, uh, age uh, day and uh, that you come from a different generation. Church membership is something that you understand that you realize that, that you go and you're going to establish and you're going to join in, but your children and your grandchildren don't. They don't understand church membership. They don't know why they would want to do that. They don't understand uh, the purpose of the local church. Uh, There are many people that I know moving away from uh, church membership and just saying and going like this, I can worship God wherever I want to worship God. Is that a true statement? Can you worship God wherever you want to worship God? Yeah, it's a true statement. Uh, That I don't have to be a part of the church Uh, in order to grow as a Christian. Well, that's a true statement, an overstatement, but a true statement. Uh, And so people are moving away from membership within the church, uh, and there's a fluidity within it. People move between churches for all a myriad of reasons, uh, moving within and between churches. But what we want to talk about today is a difference between the church universal and the particular local church. The church universal is this, the new covenant established a new people uh, in Jeremiah It says that I'm going to create a new people. And so it's greater than Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. Uh, The universal church is all of the saints from all of the time, from all of the nations all over the world uh, who are named by Christ. And so that's the universal church. And it's greater than any particular church and it's greater than any particular denomination. Uh, There are certain denominations that say this, unless you're baptized within our denomination, you're not a part of the body of Christ. That's an incredibly... Uh, bold statement, isn't it? Unless you do this, unless you're a part of our church, our local church, then you're not a part of the church universal. We would take a much different uh, biblical, I think, and humbler line, which says this. I believe there are Christians in every denomination professing Christ around the world. That there are Baptists, and there are Methodists, and there are Presbyterians, uh, and there are in, you know, Charismatics, and Pentecostals, and Catholics, and all kinds, uh, Episcopalians, and if I forgot one, it's not because I don't agree with them, I just don't want to go through the whole list. But the reality is this, God has his people universal around the world. But what we're going to talk about just for a few minutes this morning is what does it mean to be a part of the local church? What does it mean for us to be a part uh, of this church here Uh, at Hilton Head Presbyterian. You see, Paul uh, begins to speak this way. He says there in the beginning uh, of uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he says these words. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, 
It's not for the better or for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, as a church, Paul was talking about there was a regular gathering together of people in what he called the church, the ecclesia. So, so when you come together within that body, so there was biblical foundation and there is biblical foundation for gathering together uh, as the body of Christ. This may seem like, Bill, you're preaching to the choir because you guys are already here. Uh, I get that. You believe in the local church, but I want to press it a little bit. And then I'm going to take a couple of arguments here from the negative side, from the flip side of if you were to go, he says, so you come together as the church. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, give an, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's this picture in Hebrews about church leadership. It says, submit to your church leaders. Well, who are you going to submit to if there's not a local body uh, that you're supposed to submit to? That there's not local leadership uh, that are ordained and set apart. That's what we call elders and deacons and pastors within our church. And then in 1 Corinthians, when he speaks of church discipline and he speaks of sending one out, uh, it's that picture there in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 12, and you know the story. You may not have uh, necessarily a framework for it, but there was an individual within the church who was openly uh, having sexual relationships with his, with his uh, mother-in-law. And Paul said, that person has to be removed from the fellowship of the body. You may go, gosh, there's this person struggling with these things, and we're going to kick him out of the church. Well, that's not the picture. This guy uh, was right in the middle of the church, the local church, and he was having these relationships, and he was basically saying, because of the grace of God that's given to me, I can do these things and celebrate it, and you should celebrate it with me. And Paul said, that should never be. You need to get that man to, to be removed from the body so that he can be dealt with and hopefully come to repentance and come back in. So the question then becomes, How can you be out of something if there's not something to be in? Does that make sense? How can you be driven out of something if there's not something that you're supposed to be a part of? And so there's this biblical mandate for being a part of a covenant community, a part of a group of people gathered together with leadership, uh, with rules, uh, with mandates, with a way of living in the local church. And that this new covenant that we have puts together and shapes this new a community that we have called the church, and it shapes everything about us. It shapes how we're to act among one another. It shapes how we're to care for one another, how we're to think, how we engage in life together, how we move forward in our mission. Everything about our church, everything about Hilton Head Presbyterian Church is to be shaped by the beauty of this new covenant established by Jesus Christ. Look at the passage that we're in in 1 Corinthians 11. Get a sense of what was happening. It would be like this. That we said, folks, later today we're inviting you to come back and we're going to have a love feast. We're going to have a feast together. And then after that time together, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together and have this great time, an intimate time uh, around the covenant meal. And all of us came back together later on this afternoon And what we found was there were some of you who brought the lap of luxury. You had your white linens and you had your silver uh, and you had your steak and you had your wine and you were eating and feasting and you were actually getting drunk right in the middle of this group of people. Uh, And you were there doing that. And then there was this other folks who were a little more moderate and they had their food and they had their stuff. And then there was a whole group of people who had absolutely no food. They were too impoverished to have any food. 
together. And so they would come. And here was this mix of people who were all here as part of the church to have this love feast. And then, uh, in the hypocrisy of that moment, everybody came forward and said, Oh, praise Jesus. We get to take the bread and we get to take the wine because Christ died for us and gave himself for us. Paul says, You don't understand. This new covenant that Christ has established, it controls and shapes how we engage one another. It controls and shapes how we eat our food. It it controls and shapes how we engage those who have less than us. Uh, That it shapes how we relate to one another. Do you realize that as members of this church, that as you taking vows, we're going to look at those vows in just a moment so briefly. But you you are taking vows. You are entering into a covenant relationship that you're going to live differently with one another. Look around the room. You know what you got in this room? You got a bunch of messy people. And you know what I hear constantly about the church? What's the one argument that you hear regularly about people outside the church of why they don't want to join the church? Hypocrites. So guess what we have in this room? I'd say probably about 75 of you. You know what we have? We have about 75 hypocrites. Are each of us at some level hypocritical? I mean, we're not perfect in any of that. So we've got a whole bunch of hypocrites uh, living together. Uh, Any of you have difficulty getting along with other people? Well, I do. And usually the reason that I do is because of me. I like to blame the other person, uh, but it's normally about me. And so here we've got all of these different people with different backgrounds and different personalities. Some are melancholy, some are extroverts, some are introverts. I'm an extrovert off the charts, if you haven't figured that out. And for you introverts, I love you, but I don't know what to do with you. We stand together and I think you're either disinterested or you don't like me. And so I don't know what to do. And then we have some people who are relationally more challenging where if something is going on, they'll come and say, I have something I want to talk to you about. And then other people who like to just sort of stew uh, over here uh, and they don't bring it up. and They're non-confrontational in that way. They don't like conflict. They're conflict avoiders. Uh, Then there are other people who could care less about people think about them and other folks who desperately desire everyone to like them. Their approval sucks. Uh, And so there's just this whole thing that's going on within our midst and we have to figure out how to live together. Because we made a covenant relationship under the covenant that God said, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And by making in that covenantal relationship vertically, we have a covenantal relationship horizontally that says this, I'm going to be your brother in Christ, and you're going to be my sister in Christ, and we're going to be family together, and we're going to figure out how to live together as becomes the honor and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. That we're going to figure out how to take care of the person who has nothing. We would in no way want to come and in our extravagance eat a meal and be drunk in front of others who have absolutely nothing. How could that be? We wouldn't even think it in the New Covenant community. We would recognize if I have anything, I'd share it with anyone who has need. And we wouldn't be embarrassed by our lack of having anything and we'd be willing to share with the church and say, I have a need. There is a sense of pride that so many people have that they won't share their needs. They're afraid that they're going to be an obligation to somebody or a hindrance to somebody or something like that. And the beauty of the body of Christ is this, that we come and we take care of each other. That there are ways that we're to react to one another and to live our lives together. That the new covenant of Jesus Christ gives us our mission. We've talked about that over the last several weeks. I'm not going to talk about that again this morning. But it gives us our mission. It it gives us our purpose of what we're called to do. 
And within this covenant community, that we're called to activity, not to inactivity. Uh, We're called to using our gifts, not just honing our skills. Uh, That we're to go out. And folks, there are so many needs. This isn't a shameless plug for you to get involved in ministry of the church. I should never, quite honestly, I've been in church ministry since, basically since the time I was born as a preacher's kid. And I can't tell you how many times that you have the person from the children's ministry come up front and beg the church to please come and help with the children's ministry. Or you have the exhausted deacons uh, who are tired of setting things up and breaking things down who come and they give their exhausted plea to the church, would you please step forward and do this? Or to have greeters, or to have whatever it is. Folks, we should never ever have to ask for help. All we should have to do is lay it out and say, here are the needs. And there should be an overwhelming response by the new covenant community of the church which says, I'm a part of this community, therefore I'm active within the midst of it. And we have so many of you who are already active in that way, but I want to challenge you beyond that. I'm tired too. Someone said this week, I can't be involved in that particular ministry. I'm tired of dealing uh, with folks in that particular area, so I'm not going to do it on Sunday morning. I feel the same way sometimes. I'm tired of dealing with you guys some weeks, and I don't really want to be here on Sunday morning. But we come because we're given this beautiful gift of gathering together and serving within the body of Christ. Uh, and, And so there's this awesome opportunity that we have, and we have to challenge one another on. And in the leadership of the church, there's a different covenant leadership within the church of elders and deacons. And it's been a challenge for us over the years here. But I want you to know this uh, about our elders. We want to do a better job of being shepherds within our church. And we have to do a better job of being shepherds within our church. Of tending and caring for your needs. uh, Of knowing you intimately. Of what that means. Of growing and how to do that. And our deacons, of what does it mean to serve? Do you remember the event Uh, that took place, uh, that caused the deacons to be established within the life of the church. It was that the widows needed to be fed. And it wasn't just any widows. They were the Greek widows, the Gentile widows, the outsiders, the marginalized. And so there was this entire group of people established within the life of the church to care for the needs uh, of the marginalized and the forgotten, to take care of the orphan and the widow and the person there. And that's got to be the premise upon which even our service uh, in the church is shaped. By the covenant and the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to see this. And we'll end here. I want you to see that this new covenant, it shapes our church. The covenant that God has made with us shapes our church. And that within our covenant community, we have covenant agreement that we work and we're a part of. That's why when you become a member here, you're asked to make this agreement To say, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save his sovereign mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners? Do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? The first two questions of our covenant agreement together is this. Do you understand and agree with and believe in the new covenant through Jesus Christ? That this is a gathering of people who say, first and foremost, I stand before God based upon Jesus Christ and his completed work alone. And then the other three covenant promises that we make together are this. Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you'll endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ, that the new covenant is going to shape your life? Do you promise to support the church in its work? and worship to the best of your ability? Will it shape your engagement within this church? And do you submit yourselves 
to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace. Will you in humble in humility come and be a part of something that's greater than yourself and has a purpose that's greater than yourself? And will you place yourself under the authority of those whose God has established within this church? And that's a hard piece for many of you, isn't it? Gosh, you mean I've got to submit myself to these elders and to do this? Let me just tell you a short story about me. And it may help you understand how I view uh, the church and its government and who the elders and the leaders of the church are. And it says, I had gone on a mission trip. I'd left the bank. I was with the bank. I'd come into a deep relationship with Christ and felt that I needed to leave the bank and go into ministry. And as I was serving with Youth with a Mission around uh, over in Malaysia and Thailand, I was sitting and I've sensed that God was calling me into ministry. Now, the bank had told me, your job's available for you if you want to come back. And I said, well, I might. I'd been gone for six, seven months. But I went home, and I went to Forest Hill Church. At that time, it was a Presbyterian church with elders. And I went to the senior pastor there, David Chadwick, and I went to the elders of the church, and I asked if I could come to the session. And I said to the session, I said, I believe that God is calling and leading me into ministry, into full-time ministry. I believe that he's gifted me to do this, but I submit myself to you, the elders of this church, and I want you to look at my life, and I want you to view and to see me, and if it's affirmed in you through your prayerful consideration, would you then send me out to be trained and to go into ministry? And if the Lord doesn't affirm and confirm that through you, then I submit myself, and I'll go back into banking and do uh, what God's called me there as a banker. That's how a new covenant community works. It works by us coming to godly men who are set in positions of authority over us to say, this is what I think the Lord has for me to do. And I trust in God's work through you. They're imperfect men, I get it. But I trust that God will work through this new community and this new covenant and this new covenant group of people. And he will then use me throughout that way. It's not this way. Here's how most of us engage the church community. God told me to do this. I want you to bless it. There's not a whole lot for me to say to you when you come to me and say, God told you to do something. Is there? Or could it be something like this? I believe the Lord is leading me to do this thing. I submit myself the fifth vow. I submit myself to it, to you. And I ask that you would look at my life and know me in such a way and then send me out from there. You see, this whole new covenant community, it changes everything. It changes all that we are and how we engage with one another. And so I'm glad that you are a part of our church. I pray that God would work within you, that you would formalize that, not so that we can say, hey, look how many people are members of our church, but that we can engage together, that we can live together, that we can have accountability uh, together in these things. Matt Chandler, who is pastor of the Village Church uh, down in Dallas, he wrote an article for the Nine Marks of the Church, and he wrote this. He said, if you view church as some sort of an ecclesiological uh, buffet, then you severely limit the likelihood of your growing into maturity. Growth into godliness can hurt. For instance, as I interact with others in my own local body, my own slothfulness and zeal is exposed, as is my lack of patience, my prayerlessness, and my hesitancy to associate with the lowly. Yet this interaction also gives me the opportunity to be loving to be lovingly confronted by brothers and sisters who are in the trenches with me, as well as a safe place to confess and to repent. But when church is just a place you attend without ever joining, like some sort of ecclesiological buffet, you just might consider whether you're always leaving whenever your heart begins to be exposed by the Spirit and the real work is beginning to happen. 
What's the bottom line? Local church membership is a question of biblical obedience, not of personal preference. You see, Christ is inviting you to be a part of something greater than yourself. Through this new covenant that he's established, he's inviting you to be a part and to identify yourself with him through his local church. Are we perfect? I'll go ahead and tell you we're not. If you're considering membership within our church, let me go ahead and tell you a couple of disclaimers. I'm going to personally disappoint you. I tell all the staff when I hire them, especially female staff, I'll probably make you cry at some point. And I apologize for that going forward. But I'm going to fail you. The leadership of this church is going to fail you. The people within this church are going to fail you and disappoint you. But the beauty of coming and putting your life together and taking vows and making commitments is to say, even though we disappoint one another, we're going to love through the middle of it. That through you, I'm going to be challenged to be greater than I currently am. And hopefully through me, you'll be challenged to be greater than you currently are in Christ. That we commit together uh, in this way. And Christ says, I established it through my body and through my blood. To be your God. To be with you. And for you to be with me. And so as we come, let's prepare our hearts now to come to this table. This new covenant meal. And come and worship him. Let's pray.